to Calling All Useful Idiots. This is Useful Idiots on Calling. We're so happy to see you. Please do make sure that you um, spread the gospel. Uh, just tweet out what you're doing. Tweet out that you're here so people know that this is the coolest after party, the only after party, really, on a Monday morning. Um, so, you know, just share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, share it on Instagram. Share it with your neighbors. You can leave the house, put yourself on mute, tell everyone about it. All right. Uh, I think we already got some callers, so let's take the, our first call, and that's from Zen. Better be relaxing. Hi, Zen. You're unmuted, but I can't hear you. All right, Zen, you're unmuted, which is good. That's half the battle, but we can't hear you. So pop back in the line, and we'll come back to you later, okay? Daniel. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Hi, Daniel. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, I don't know if Aaron's here yet or not, but I was wondering if you saw the, the thread on Twitter from Neil Abrams. Uh, about the Minsk Accords. The thread on Twitter from Neil Abrams about the Minsk Accord. Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. If it's a Neil Abrams, there's a guy named Neil Abrams who trolls me a lot on Ukraine, who I've sparred with a little bit. And um, I think I muted him, so I probably didn't see it. Do you want to send me a link in the chat? Or read it? Yeah. Uh, oh, it's no, very long. Not, no, no, no. Let's. I, yeah, I'm assuming it's. He, he goes, <laughs> oh, okay. he, he goes. Yeah, he he goes deep. He he goes deep. Um, but uh, but in, so he does a thread on the Minsk Accords, which is something uh, that I'm very interested in. So yeah, I'll take a look. Yeah, he just you know I guess some of the highlights would be he he mentions that you know part of the Minsk Accords was that uh. There were supposed to be Ukrainian-held elections that uh, the separatist regions just went ahead and held without any kind of oversight. Uh, to because it's kind of usually framed as like obviously the the only side that didn't adhere to the Minsk Accords was Ukraine, which is not true. Well, I've well, never said I've that. Said, I've never said the only side that didn't adhere. To, I've said though that the Ukrainian government refused to implement them, and I think they were the main obstacle to them. I think their strategy was to not implement them, and there are plenty of people who have said as much, including Poroshenko, who said that Minsk gave us eight years to delay the war, and uh, even right be- right before Russia invaded, a advisor to Zelensky said that. Um, Implementing implementing Minsk would would mean the country's destruction. Okay, so there are plenty of people at a very high level in Ukraine who have acknowledged that they had no intention of implementing Minsk. And it comes down to the fact that they didn't want to recognize the rights of ethnic Russians in the East and didn't want to grant them some limited autonomy, which is what Minsk called for. Now, does that mean that the rebels acted perfectly? No, um, they... I'm sure didn't fully uphold their end of the bargain, but the main provisions of Minsk uh, were that there were supposed to be these, uh, there was supposed to be a withdrawal of the of the Ukrainian military, 
um, and then there were supposed to be these elections held. There was supposed to be the resumption of economic ties between Ukraine and the Donbass. And basically, nationalists inside Ukraine sabotaged all this. That's why, and you should look this up, there's video of when Zelensky was elected on a platform of peace, of ending that war. When he ordered, he ordered a, with like, he, like, like one of the first steps implementing Minsk was, was drawing back Ukrainian forces and drawing back rebel forces too. But the problem is the Azov Battalion, the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, refused to obey his order. And so he went there and met with an Azov commander on the front lines in this video of this, where Zelensky is saying to him, you have to follow my order. And the guy basically told him to fuck off. And Zelensky, and Zelensky said, you can't talk to him like that. I'm, I'm the president of this country. I'm not a loser. But Azov and their allies, uh, you know, refused to basically follow suit. And when Zelensky, when every time Zelensky tried to make a step towards implementing Minsk, he faced massive protests from the right and threats of a coup. And, you know, I've written about this. The U.S. basically sat by and did nothing and didn't get behind Zelensky. So it was the U.S. that let Zelensky, that let Minsk die and didn't have Zelensky's back and basically forced him to follow the demands of the far right, who do have a lot of power inside Ukraine. So that's my view. I'll take a look at this thread uh, if you post a link to it. Um, yeah, I but, did. Uh, okay, thanks. Uh, and uh, we can talk about it next time. Sure. Okay. Jose. Hi, Jose. Okay. Good morning. Hi. Can you hear me okay? Yes. yes. And Jose, are you the Jose who interrupted AOC last okay. week? I'm the, yeah. I'm the Cortez Chuckler. You're the Cortez <laughs> Chuckler. All right. Well, I'm still, still working on it. Yeah, I am. And, uh, you know, Aaron, I'm excited to talk to you. And Katie, it's always good to talk to you again. Um, but um, actually, I mean, I, I'm sure uh, you might have seen this thing with Shoigu. He went to his British counterparts, his French counterparts, and his American counterparts saying, listen, Ukraine has a dirty bomb, and they're going to use it on their own town. And then they put out a collective statement saying, well, we unilaterally reject this bullshit notion. And uh, I mean, I think this is going to kick us off right into nuclear war, starting with that a false flag attack on Ukraine. And first of all, I mean, I just want to say, like, I think this is why you need Diane on the debate, because she is a New York candidate. She's running for U.S. Senate against Chuck Schumer. They don't want her to debate, not because she's a third party or a third candidate, not because, you know, uh, she's supposedly unknown, even though we got 66,000 signatures to get her on the ballot. They don't want her on because she will bring this up. She will bring up this discussion of nuclear war. She will bring up this discussion of destruction and the possibility uh, that we'll all be gone. They don't want that, her to bring this up to Chuck Schumer. And so when we called Spectrum and said, listen, what's, why, why can't she be on this debate that's going to be the most viewed in New York? They said, well, she didn't get 15% on the polls, but no poll listed her as an option. And oh. so I'm kind of here to talk to you guys because, you know, Aaron, you said you was going to stand with anybody who's anti-war. And I respect that. You know, I know what you said about who we are. I don't care. Right now, I don't think anything matters other than nuclear war. And that's why I'm here to just kind of say, just check her out. I'm not here to say put her on your show anything like that. Just check her out. Because the fact that she's a candidate adds legitimacy to her being anti-war and doing something about it. Yeah. Uh, what is her name? Diane Sayre. 
That's it. And she's running for Senate in New York. That's right. Yeah. And I'm yeah. a, I'm a staffer for her campaign. Okay. Yeah. And you know, I've heard Scott Ritter say that she got like 65,000 people to sign a, uh, a petition getting her on the ballot. Right. Which is, um, uh, how I think what, what helped get her there, which is, a, which is a lot of people and actually more than, more than used to be required. So yeah, look, I absolutely think that third party candidates should be allowed into these debates and they always make them better. I think, um, what party? So, we don't have a party. It's just that New York, you need to have a party in order to be on the ballot because we just wanted her to run as independent. But we put her under the LaRouche line. You know? That... Right. So, <laughs> so so it's on the ticket as as the as the LaRouche party? It just LaRouche. No part no party, just LaRouche and then candidate. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, like well, just think about it because you yeah. know. After Cuomo raised the requirements for independents to get on statewide ballots from 15,000, he raised it from that to 45,000 in a six-week period. Meanwhile, Republicans and Democrats still only needed 15,000. And the yeah. Libertarian Party couldn't get it. The Green Party couldn't get it. And not even Lee Zeldin, who was trying to get another line, couldn't get it either. So, yeah. we Well, did. look, yeah. Um, and, and I don't care what the branding is. Uh, you know, it's not as if Democrats or Republicans have a monopoly on on legitimacy. So anybody, I think, who uh, who is running and who has, you know, somewhat of a sizable amount of support, should be allowed to come and uh, debate. And uh, so I hope that happens. And I'm yeah. Watching, yeah. yeah. I, I hope so, too. And that's but, why, you know, I'm out here pleading with you guys. Like, you know, yeah. let's put aside whatever we think about whatever and just say, She's got a debate so she can bring up the nuclear war issue. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I and other, yeah. And other than that, I mean, Gillibrand is having a town hall today at 530. Um, I can't be there. I have COVID. I only found this out today. But the other guy who did the intervention with me will be there. And I asked Wyatt Reed, what does he want brought up? Um, and he gave me some good points um, because Senator Gillibrand, I mean, I did confront her not in the same spectacle as AOC. I actually got the mic and I said, listen, there's this kill list going on that you're funding. You know, what's up with that? And to her credit, she did uh, sit down with us in DC, her and her national security council, um, Frank Bumel, have an audio recording of that whole meeting. She knows about this kill list, has said nothing about it. And so I want to pose this to you guys. What is it that Kynan, the other guy, should do or bring up in this question to her because you guys should know i'm i don't go out there to do a spectacle none of us do if we can get the mic we'll do it but if we need to be heard we will um i uh the the question i would have for any lawmaker is um uh, where is your call for diplomacy and why are you funneling billions of dollars into this, into this proxy war when the open policy of the Biden administration is to reject diplomacy. And um, how can you do that when given that it's just causing all this mayhem and, and, and suffering? Um, you could also add, given that Biden thinks that neither side can end the war, can win the war. That's right. Yeah, that's a, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Then I'll relay that over to him. That'll be in Staten Island today. So, um, Keep an eye out on a live stream, I guess. All right. All right. That's Look, great. That's, for the rock. Yeah. that's all I got. You guys are awesome. I'm out. Thanks. Thanks for, thank you. Thanks for the call. 
All right, Sohand. Let's do that. Hi, Sohand. Hi, this is Sahand, by the way. Thanks. Sorry, Sahand. 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 <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, I, I misread the A as an O. Hi, Sahand. Uh, that's fine. Hi. Hi, Aaron. Hi. Uh, great show this morning, as always. Um, so I actually uh, wanted to um, bring a an episode of the Daily from New York Times podcast to your attention. Uh, I'm not a big fan of them. Every now and then I get bored and I listen to you know, it's a safe the space. titles. We, we won't kick you out. <laughs> Thanks for not judging me. But yeah. yes, but they I, I thought they had an interesting episode uh, a few days ago where – um, they talked about a, a poll they did, New York Times and uh, Siena College, um, and they go in depth. I think a lot of the things you highlighted or you were kind of criticizing with with the uh, discussions over the, the weekend shows where, you know, the January 6th, uh, all, you know, people don't probably care a whole lot about that. They, they have other priorities in their lives. Uh, actually, they highlighted a lot of that in the, in the poll they found, uh, and I thought it was a very interesting um, – Interesting that it actually came from New York Times, and they actually had the, uh, they were brave enough to go and, and make an episode and be public about it. So I, I just wanted to bring that to your attention. Uh, the thing that stuck to me was, you know, you know, if you go to the link, uh, and I'll post it here, it says, according to the Times Siena College poll, American voters are seeing democracy in peril, but saving it isn't a priority. Um, so it, it I think a lot of that discussion that they had there kind of highlighted a lot of the things uh, you were commenting on as well. And But at the end, what stood out to me was the host was really surprised that all of this, that all the effort the Democrats have put into this, they really was trying to get the other guy to say, are you sure people do you really don't care about that? I mean, is that is that real? <laughs> you know, um, so anyways, didn't really have much to say, but I just wanted to bring that up and, and uh, mention it. Yeah, that is uh, rare. Surprising. Good on them. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks so much for calling in. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Great day. Matthew. Hey, guys. Can you hear Hey. Oh. Yeah. Um, okay, so I missed the beginning, so I don't know if you guys mentioned it at all. Because you guys you guys go really early for West Coasters. Right. But, uh, yeah, I saw, uh, I guess over the weekend, HuffPo ran a piece about how, like, now the liberal psychosis has reached the point where it's like they're weighing, like, well, I mean, like, if it was a small nuclear winter... Oh Could that God. stop oh climate change? Right. You know, <laughs> I'm just. I guess my my question related to that is like, is there really? I mean, I think on the left, a part of being on the left is like, we do outreach to liberals, you know, to be like, hey, listen, we think you got a good heart, but we're we're trying to reach you and get you to the real positions, you know. <laughs> but like, what? How? Like. Russiagate was bad, was bad enough, but now the liberal psychosis and copium has got to the point where it's like, 
you know, maybe a nuclear war would be good. Maybe the leftists telling us that we have to avoid it at all costs are just dumb. <laughs> like, like what? How do we reach these people? Is my question. You know, given given that that's where they are are now. It's a great question. It's a great. I don't know. Um, it very much to me is like a cult. Uh, that's why I call it Blue and right. You know, QAnon attracts people from, you know, uh, for whatever reason, they feel um, scared about society and they're looking for answers. And, you know, they found this crazy conspiracy theory cult to give them the answers. And I see uh, the, the, the liberal side acting in a similar way. They, um, they have, I think, disdain for working people. They don't want to understand why Donald Trump was elected president in 2016. They can't handle the fact that that was the result of a dysfunctional system that they profit off of and, and, and thrive and thrive off of. So they have to come up with external actors to blame, and they've coalesced around Russia. And that, in turn, has then normalized this situation where it's okay to have war with Russia and to criminalize diplomacy with Russia. And they're very wedded to that. You know, and I don't know when people are locked into that kind of emotional attachment, it's very hard to to get through. I mean, something as dumb as Russiagate, as you say, was able to capture so many people cognitively to believe that Trump actually was a Russian asset. And so in that situation where it's so easy to get people on board for that, now that you have an actual war going on uh, and the stage has been set to encourage confrontation with Russia, it's very easy to get people to support it and very hard to get them to consider facts that go against their narrative. Right. Yeah. I guess, I don't know. I guess, I don't know. I guess it's just going to take more outreach, more people, more people uh, saying something in public spaces and people like Jose to like really stand up for it and stuff like, yeah, I, (laughs) Sorry, it's crazy. Normally, I don't come on like shows this early, but yeah, I saw that article over the weekend. I was just like, "This is cr- like this is crazy." Liberals used to be better than neocons. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's uh, look. You know, try to think of some positive examples in history. At a certain point, people stopped believing that there were uh, WMDs in Iraq, and when it was basically confirmed to a, a mass audience that the Bush administration was lying, you know, that woke people up a little bit. And the more this goes on and the more facts come out, because facts do have their uh, way of making themselves known eventually, although it takes a while. Um, I do think you'll see a change. Hopefully before we, uh, <laughs> we, ex- we, we blow up the planet with uh, nuclear Armageddon, hopefully before then. For sure. Right. Well, thank you guys so much. Thanks for having me on. Keep doing what you're doing. Really appreciate you you guys being out there and calling out all the fucking madness. Um, Stay strong out there, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for calling. You thank us for calling out. Thank you for calling in. All right. Brady. Hi, Brady. Please unmute yourself. Apologize. This app is like a little funky and slow. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, I had an epiphany the other day. It's a new word I thought y'all might appreciate. <clears throat> and it's um, uh, yoetic. So if someone calls you anti-Semitic, you can say, no, 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 no. I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm anti-yoetic. And anti-yoetic or yoetic basically is like anything pertaining to the sex of the religion that worships Yahweh as a God. So that would incorporate Christianity, Islam and Judaism all into one kind of useful word, which is yoetic. <laughs> oh, I see. So, so I invented I'm pop it up in Urban I Dictionary. I thought you guys might be able to make use of it. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's going to be helpful, though. Just saying. <laughs> I'm not sure either. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I just thought it was a fun new word. <laughs> yeah, well, I do like the word, yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. I'm going to pass the mic. Y'all have a great day. Keep it up. <laughs> Looking forward to the new show. Force the payote. Force um, the payote. Force the payote. I tried to take the link for this, and now I'm, like, stuck in tech, so you're going to have to take over. I hope you accept being moderator because I can't really call on people. Okay, sure. Uh, I'll go ahead so, and hang up and pass the mic. Thanks, Brady. Thank you for the call. Okay, Iggy. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi there. Um, I'm just calling. Uh, don't take this. Uh, I'm, I'm conscious that uh, I don't want to be sounding like I'm actually um, uh, expressly criticizing the gray zone, but it's a question about the Jeffrey Sachs videos that um, you've put in recently. So one of the videos is about um, uh, Sachs's longish standing position about uh, U.S. interventionist foreign policy, and he's been against that for some time. And the and then he's gone as far in other worlds in other interviews i think to talk about um it's probably the u.s the u.s that did nord stream and then the second video is about his pretty much acknowledgement that the preponderance of evidence of covid origins suggests it's lab leak or human uh, genetically engineered and possibly a lab leak but i'm just wondering aaron and, and katie if you're into this as well what your feelings are about actually what Sachs represents in terms of the full picture of the Lancet COVID-19 commission report because the COVID origins leak might be the first bullet point but it's actually small beer compared to the findings of Sachs who completely agrees with the UN, WHO, um, China approach and, and one would argue that's the Gavi, Seppi, Gatesian approach to pandemic management. He completely backs it. I am concerned about that because I'd have thought maybe the grey zone would have looked at his stance and questioned what it means in the future for, for general pandemic management. You know, this is not my wheelhouse. I just don't uh, follow this issue very closely. And you'll notice in the interview about uh, the origins of COVID, I didn't ask any questions because it's just, it's just not something I, I'm very well versed in. So, um, I uh, I I can't answer your question. <laughs> Sorry to say. No worries. That's cool. I just wanted to ask because what? Yeah, I mean, one uh, and the reason why I ask it is not to, as a critique. It's mainly to understand what the remit is, and and I think that you know that's 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 that is the thing. If it's not on your rate, if the if the, if the issues, the wider issues, are not on your radar, then fair enough. It's not in your remit. It's not in your remit. Yeah, I mean, we. Um... Uh, we uh, interviewed Jeffrey Sachs because he was the chair of the uh, Lancet's COVID-19 commission and also because he's, he's an insider 
who's been very vocal about the proxy war in Ukraine. And uh, that, you know, uh, that was the part of the interview that I was focused on. And, you know, Max obviously has done a lot, has done a lot of uh, work around COVID and, and challenging the policies around that. And so, so this was his wheelhouse, not mine. Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Iggy. Okay. Next caller. Hey, how's it going? I uh, enjoy listening to you and uh, appreciate you uh, doing this. I guess I haven't listened to the whole thing, but I mean, I kind of have a Buddhistic perspective that there's not a speck of dust out of place in the whole universe. Um, you know, like having studied the wars, Afghanistan, Vietnam, uh, like Vietnam was Russian payback uh, for or I'm sorry, Afghanistan was Russian payback for Vietnam from the CIA. So it is tit for tat. There's like an internal dialogue between KGB and CIA. Um, you know, I can try to rationalize anything. I know what's happening is evil and stupid. And uh, But I appreciate you guys doing this room. I guess my question to you is, uh, you know, f about false flags. And it seems like Russians have concern that the Ukrainians are going to set off a dirty bomb. I've always believed that, you know, there would be some major escalation uh, or false flag, but it would be done by the West and not Russia. So I was just wondering if you could hypothesize or, uh, you know, think about uh, false flags and what that means in terms of escalation. Uh, look, so these are these accusations have been hurled back and forth throughout this proxy war and they're dangerous to me. They just speak to the need for diplomacy. Because, you know, in wars like this, I mean, people have motives to create false flags to pin an atrocity on the other. And yes, now the current one being floated by Russia is that Ukraine's going to use a dirty bomb and try to blame that on Russia and blow up this dam. And it's it's dangerous. And um, what I know is for a fact is that false flags happen uh, and they were they happen in Syria uh, around chemical weapons. That's just overwhelmingly clear now based on all the evidence from the OPCW and leaks from inside even the U.S. government, as you can read about in the reporting of Seymour Hirsch. So these things are possible, but in terms of the probability of one and who will do it, I, I can't speculate on that. To me, it just underscores the need for diplomacy, because as long as the war is going on, then whoever is losing especially, uh, or even if they're winning, you know, people will have an incentive to, to do stuff like this. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. I just, I just get the feeling that it's the fact that we even read this article, it's almost like a, a predictor or an indicator that it's coming and will in the fog of war, no one knows who did it. And at that point people will say it, it won't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. But anyways, I appreciate yeah. it. Well, let me actually read you something. So um, David Petraeus, who oversaw the, the, the dirty war in Syria when he was heading the CIA, he recently said something to an interview uh, he conducted in, uh, to a French outlet. Let me just find it. What he says is pretty unbelievable. Now, this is someone with you know extensive ties to the Biden White House. And um, this is what he says. He's asked, uh, and this was a few days ago, he's asked, what is the red line beyond which NATO must become more involved in the conflict? And first he says the red line is, you know, if NATO is directly attacked, so it will have to invoke collective self-defense. So that's when NATO would get involved in a war against Russia. But then he says this, 
Having said that, I think it is possible that Russia could take an action in Ukraine that would be so shocking and so horrific that the U.S. and other countries might react in one way or another, but as a multinational force led by the U.S. and not as a NATO force. So he's basically saying that, you know, although the current doctrine of the U.S. is to only, you know, fight Russia if Russia attacks a NATO member, he's saying it's possible that if Russia does something that's so shocking and horrific, then the U.S., he thinks, could get involved. That, to me, if I'm reading between the lines, that, to me, is him basically calling for a false flag, or at least suggesting that a false flag might do the trick (laughs) to get the U.S. involved. Because it's the same thing as Syria, where, you know, when Obama said, if there's use of chemical weapons, that might change my calculus. Uh, As Harper's Magazine wrote about, one U.S. ambassador to the Middle East said that the the red line was an open invitation to a false flag. And that's how I read David Petraeus's words here as well. He's, he's trying to change the definition, expand the definition for when the U.S. can be involved to basically mean that Russia does something that he deems to be shocking and horrific. And uh, that is shocking that he's willing to even say that because what he's basically calling for in that situation is World War III. Which, as we saw, excites a lot of people. Yes, Absolutely. Isn't World War Three just a concept? Like, there is no such thing as a world war. There's just escalation of hostilities, and it just ramps up profits. Like, if you read Smedley Butler's, uh, you know, great work on war is a racket, I mean, the the detonation of a thermonuclear warhead or a dirty bomb, I mean, it, you would imagine it would implode the stock market, but, it, you know, it might implode it for a week or two, but then... but after three days of uh, reconciliation, I mean, Raytheon stock is going to double, just like how Pfizer's doubled during the COVID-19 uh, scamdemic pandemic. And uh, I don't know, I just I just view the West being uh, so programmed this type of warfare that, uh, uh, that it's just inevitable that a false flag will be uh, created from the West. And, uh, okay, well, who knows? Look, I mean, it's... Maybe you're right uh, about that speculation, but who knows? You know, um, I think it's, I definitely think it's fair to worry about. Absolutely. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Uh, Serge. Is this the Serge joining us from Ukraine? Yeah, that's the Serge coming Hi, back from Ukraine. Hi there. Yeah, so it's been a crazy few weeks. You know, my hometown for the first time has been hit with missiles pretty heavily and wow. seeing, yeah, a lot of... By who? By, by Russia? Uh, they say it's very hard to say. I really can't say mm. who exactly. If, if I was stating the official Ukrainian position, yeah, definitely uh, Russia was aiming at residential buildings because they just want to kill as many Ukrainians as they can. The way I see it, it it's it may have been Russia uh, having some faulty missiles and they were trying to hit military targets inside the city, but kind of miscalculated. Or maybe it was air defense systems just knocking missiles down over over the residential areas because they just don't really care and 
you can always say that Russia, Russians are crazy and they just want to kill us. But, you know, it was a few weeks ago and since then it's been pretty quiet. But yeah, we've been stocking up with firewood and uh, live straws since then because, yeah, you know, due to all the power outages talks, we might lose power in the next few days. And uh, we're being told that these power outages will be a daily occurrence from here on. So I'm not sure how our old apartment buildings are gonna sustain during the winter period because we have uh, pretty cold weather during winter. And if the pipes are gonna be cold, that's gonna be very bad for the social infrastructure. But yeah, uh, just wanted to quickly mention something. I don't know if you guys covered um, some of the mounting evidence of the Ukrainian forces actually doing some horrendous shit to Ukrainian civilians in the deoccupied regions. And I really wanted to highlight one of such occurrences uh, with a guy whose name is Maxim Jorin, I'll uh, share it in the comments to this video. So this Maxim Jorin guy, he's an ex-Azov commander, and he's now joined the Special Forces Operations of the Ukrainian Armed Forces. And basically, he shared a pretty heinous video of... Um, it's a very short video, a two-second video in his Telegram channel uh, where you can see some soldiers um, knocking people down a pit. And you can obviously, you can see that these are corpses. And the caption that he left to this video basically stated, like, uh, all traitors will be killed and revenge is coming. And it was a video shot uh, in Kupiansk region, which is very close to Kharkov. And but he miscalculated, and one of the very brave and one of the most prolific Ukrainian journalists called Anatoly Sheri. I'm pretty sure you know him. Uh, he right away dissected the video and stated that. It's obviously uh, Ukrainian forces killing civilians in the deoccupied regions because uh, because you can see well it's pretty hard to explain but Kupiansk Kupiansk was um, left by the Russian forces early in September and it was very hot during that season still. But in that video that Jorin shared, you can obviously see that all corpses uh, wear pretty warm clothes that you would wear in some in sometime in October. So obviously this video was shot in October, and so it must be Ukrainian forces. So Jorin had some time to think about it, and. After that, he posted another short two-second video of uh, some soldiers, um, you know, 
getting civilians to the top of the hill to throw them down this pit. And it's a very short video. You can't really see anything or say that these are Russian soldiers that are killing people. But uh, what they did, they edited a photoshopped uh, Russian uh, red badge on the leg of one of these soldiers. So to make it look like he is Russian, but uh, you know, under very subsurface levels, you don't really have to pay close attention to see that it's Photoshop. You know, it's it's a very sloppy job because they were obviously very scared. And what he said was that, uh, you know, it was actually a video from one of the killed Russian soldiers from his smartphone. And he can't show the whole video because uh, they have sent it to their investigation. And since then, there have been no news about this video. And I just wondered, maybe uh, you as independent journalists could uh, make some official um, requests to United Nations or some other human rights uh, organizations to make Ukrainian government put out some statement and maybe make them release the full video because I think it's one of those cases where it's really can be a turning point. And yeah, there it's, have been quite a few. Yeah, so search just to be clear on what we're talking about. So there is yeah. a video of some bodies being thrown into a pit. That's the one you're referring to? Yeah. And so, and initially it was said that this was a Ukrainian soldier doing it, but then, but then Ukrainian started, people from the Ukrainian government started saying that actually those were Russians doing that? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, initially it was shared in a Telegram channel, which shares some very violent stuff. And yeah. Then this Maxim Rodin guy, who's an ex-Azov guy, who's now the Special Forces Operations guy, he shared it in his own Telegram channel, just with a caption that was saying that revenge is coming. And after people started asking, like, uh, what do you mean? And what's this video about? Uh, he had to add another caption saying that actually, no, it's not our video. We took it from a smartphone from a dead Russian soldier. And they, they then they had to release another two second video of the same footage with uh, some soldiers that could have been Russian, could have been Ukrainian, but... Uh, right, okay. Well, listen, if, yeah. you can, if you can send me some links in the, in the messaging on this app, uh, I will do that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and a few yeah. other footages as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and how are you doing personally? Uh, fine. Working, preparing for the worst. You know, fingers crossed the dirty bomb is going to get exploded in my city with my luck. But yeah, mm. we're doing fine so far. Thanks. And you still have power and, and heat at the moment? uh heat no we have no heat but we have power uh you know uh during the night it's really dark but so far so good tomorrow we'll have some outages and it's going to be a daily occurrence as i said but we'll see what will happen next mm. 
Well, thank you, uh, Serge, for uh, for checking in with us. And uh, it's always great to hear from you. <clears throat> Thanks so much. Thank you, Serge. Okay. Uh, Jonathan. Hey, you know, if I start talking about inflation, just change the subject. That's what Pelosi yeah, right. wants you to do. <laughs> but it's, I mean, the thing is, just a lot of what she said was true. Uh, the problem really is the cost of living. But you notice that both her and Bernie, all they had to offer on that front was what? Prescription drugs. Like, that, is that my cost of living? Is that what's breaking my balls is prescription drugs? I don't take prescription drugs. It's fucking rent that is killing everybody. You got... Now, I'm not talking about San Francisco and Houston. You got people of mid-sized towns in the middle of the country who are paying eight, nine hundred dollars for a studio now. And that ain't got nothing to do with the supply lines either. That their whole narrative is also garbage. You got Walmart selling sandals now for a dollar because you know there was that little hiccup, obviously, where they were all the boats were offshore, but they all came in. The warehouses are full now, and they have they can't get rid of the sandals, so they're giving them away. Like the supply. There's like a there's a failure to discern these points in the supply line because there's like there's lumber and then there's home builders. Right. Those are two different things. Like the shortage of housing is not because there's a shortage of lumber. It's because there's not profitable to build houses anymore because that can be go all the way back to the price of fuel. You transport the lumber to the wherever the builder buys it from and it costs three times like lumber and eggs like tripled in the past year and a half. But that's not, it's not got nothing to do with supply lines. And they keep using this word, inflation. Like, when the difference in price goes all into profits, that's not inflation. Like, I just want to slap everybody I hear say the word inflation because it's the equivocation fallacy. Some people mean how it trades on Forex. Other people mean how it trades bonds. Other people mean core CPI. I, you know, it's like a word that means nothing now. It doesn't mean anything. And as every price going up is inflation. And then they don't parse between asset inflation, commodity inflation, and monetary inflation, which are all different things. And yeah, the fiscal policy does cause commodity prices to go up, but that's only because monopoly pricing power is total and ubiquitous. And monetary policy causes asset inflation to go up, because they just repurchase their own stocks. But both of those things are regressive. Commodity inflation is regressive because if gas or milk costs a dollar more, like sales tax or inflation, then that's, that dollar is a larger percentage of a poor person's income than of a rich person's income. So it, it hurts the poor more when commodity prices rise. Right. The poor right. need their dollars to hold their value. And yep. then asset inflation is also regressive because if you don't allow Boeing stock to crash, if you give the money to buy back their own stock and don't let, go, let it go down to where I could buy some, then the vehicle of upward mobility is taken away from me. Assets, whether it's land, stocks, bonds, that's upward mobility in a nutshell. Like you don't have any new generational wealth in different hands than it was in before. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So it's that's all right. a bunch of bullshit. And yeah, you better change the subject though. Let's, let's not yeah. let Nancy we Pelosi here is talking about Thanks, Jonathan, for the call. Thank you. Hi, Joe. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on. 
Um, really horrific hearing about what's going on in Ukraine. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, what we can do here in the States. I heard a caller earlier say, you know, how can we reach liberals? And I want to suggest that while we shouldn't shut out anyone who wants to um, organize around against imperialism, that we should really focus on the working class. Um, when we do, I do housing organizing here in the Boston area and, I find that people approach me about Ukraine with, you know, unprovoked. I won't even talk about it, even though that's something I, I'm concerned about. And they'll say, why are we sending money to Ukraine when, um, you know, when we, we're getting evicted and we can't afford the rent? And so I, and then I say, you know, well, actually, they're not even helping the people in Ukraine. They're getting them killed, which produces a lot of puzzled looks because they, you know, they, don't have in most people aren't aware of independent media, but these people who are you know working class people are already predisposed to being against this, and um, so I just want to suggest that that's who we should be primarily focused on, and I you know I accept any um, comments uh, about that too. Thanks. Um, yeah, I think getting trying to reach out to that's interesting that people are bringing it up that they're making those connections on their own it makes sense because um, there's a kind of cognitive dissonance probably between the economic um, instability or insecurity um, pain that people are experiencing and seeing how we're people are working. Class. Katie, you you cut out. You are cutting out, at least for me. Aaron, are you there? Sorry, judge. Yeah, I'm oh, here, okay. but but we couldn't hear you, or at least I couldn't oh. hear you. I was just saying that um, it's interesting that people are making these connections on their own about uh, the connection between um, it makes sense that people are connecting their own economic pain to the fact that this government has money to fund um, a proxy war. And in terms of who we reach out to, I think, yeah, working class people are important, um, but really we have to be all hands on deck and, and trying to reach out to as many people as possible because it's so important. All right, Joe, thank you for the call. And Russ. Russ, are you there? I am. Yes. Hi. Hi. Um, I've got a bit of a suggestion, which I don't know if you've thought about it. Um, how do you guys feel about setting up a panel and doing a one-off show, um, gaming out what could happen if this thing in Ukraine um, does escalate and does spread um, and how this could look almost like a game of risk? Because I think you'd probably garnish a lot more followers um, if that was done well. So basically, you want us to simulate a war game? Yeah, just something I was thinking of. You know, you could have 
left and right side. You could have pro-war and anti-war people. And I think you get a lot of people, because I haven't seen many people really gaming it out from a worldwide perspective as to as to what could happen. Yeah, look, it's 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 true that we don't really think about the potential consequences of the war we're fueling. And it's good to think about that uh, because people talk about the use of nuclear weapons as if it's as if it's some sort of tactical thing, like a battlefield thing. But really, the exchange of nukes is annihilation. So people should be aware of that. I mean, the closest I think many people, at least you know where I live in New York, got to it was, and we we've covered this on Useful Idiots. Was all of a sudden New York City just released this video that was about what happens if there's a nuclear attack on New York City. And it begins something like, so there's been a nuclear attack. Don't ask me how, but just know that that's what happened. We have to prepare for it. And so that, and it's like, that was just released out of the blue. And it was obviously done in response to the war in Ukraine. In fact, Mayor, Mayor Eric Adams acknowledged that. And so that to me is like the most um, public way that the threat of nuclear war has been put out there. But aside from that, in the U.S., there's just, it's not really discussed. It's just, And we saw with that clip we played today that it's just all kind of like a, a game to these people. So I, I, think, I think it's a good idea to, to sort of speak about what that would really look like if, if a direct war between the U.S. and Russia would, would break out. Yeah, and look, it doesn't have to solely be about the nuclear option. You know, it could be half the discussion could be, well, what if there is no nuclear involvement? but it still becomes a real world war where everyone's involved. What yeah. would happen? Yeah. Well, fair enough. That's a good question. Thanks for the call. Just Russ. an idea. Just yeah. thinking of, of, of yeah. a bit of content for you guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. All right. Zen. Hello. Um, Hello. Hi. Yeah. So I had a question for Aaron. Um, Tucker Carlson had a segment Friday where, and hopefully you saw this, where he said that the establishment was with Trump until he questioned the Iraq war and U.S. foreign policy, like in February. Uh, I don't know if that was 2016. And did you see that segment? No, I didn't. Well, I thought it was a great segment because I always wondered that. He said like all these, um, I can't remember who the, the journalists, you know, the pro-war journalists from uh, WAPO and uh, New York Times, um, they used to like Trump, but they turned on, on him when he questioned the Iraq war and U.S. foreign policy. So I just wanted to see what you thought about that. And you should see that segment too. Uh, okay, uh, if you can put a link to it in the chat, I'll okay. try. I'll try to check it out. But um, look, it's true. I mean, look, didn't Trump? Or didn't the Clintons go to Trump's wedding to Melania? Or there's some picture of Trump and, and the Clintons being friends, and you know, yeah, someone's wedding. I'm not sure who's. Yeah, and, and Clinton even encouraged Clinton even encouraged Trump to to run. So yeah, of course. But look, the thing is. You know, the establishment still was with Trump in policy-wise because, look, I mean, like Liz Cheney, for example, who's supposed to be one of his biggest foes, voted with Trump 93% of the time 
So no matter all the rhetoric that Trump said on the campaign trail about being anti-war and draining the swamp, I mean, when he came to office, he did none of that. And he just basically continued all the policies that he claimed to oppose. So the establishment was fine with that. And that's why people like Liz Cheney were voting with him for 93% of the time is because he was carrying out the establishment's policies. They just didn't like the way he did it because he also said the wrong things. I mean, if you're the president, you're not supposed to say that we're in Syria to take the oil. You're supposed to say that we're there to fight terrorism. And uh, so he just he just was not a good steward of the of of the U.S. war machine. And that's why they had to get rid of him. Yeah, I can't find the link. Thanks. Love Thank you. Work. Thank you. OK. <clears throat> Next caller. No, okay, Matthew. Hi there. I'm just, uh, there was just, uh, not exactly related to everything that's been done. It's actually to do with the website call. Just that sometimes uh, when uh, go, goes on live, it sometimes takes a while up there, and I didn't know how that works exactly afterwards. I think one of your episodes of, uh, it was AM, uh, hello there, Aaron. Yeah. Matthew, you, you keep Matt. cutting out. Keep cutting out. Why, why that happens? It's like every five seconds you're muted. Are you using some headphones or something? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay, so Matthew, what you're referring to? I got what you're saying. You're, you're saying that there's been some issues with calling the app because shows after they're live aren't being published. And yeah, I've I've experienced that. There was it was a little buggy, which happens in tech. But I think they fixed it now because we've recently published some episodes. Like I, like I did one yesterday that I, that I was able to publish. So I think it's been fixed. Very much. Thank you. Thank you. Always good to feel the tech support question. Yeah. Call it, you know, we, we do tech support here. We do everything. All right. Next caller is Radical. Radical Nation, are you there? Sorry. No worries. There you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. It, it gave me the usual thing, and then it gave me an extra pop-up. Um, well, I was just wondering, uh, I missed your show actually today, so I have to go back and catch that. But I caught uh, most of this show. Um, and I heard a lot of talk about the, uh, uh, you know, dirty bomb, uh, false flag situation. Um, but I actually heard something last week. I'm going to post it right now. It's on, um, Telegram. Um, it's a, a, a guy called UKR Leaks. And, um, he's been posting different things. Uh, but he talked about, uh, this idea that um, they might blow up a dam and it would like flood uh, major parts of uh, Kherson and um, that's partially why they were evacuating and all of that. And of course, if you watch the news, you get this completely twisted story, maybe not quite as twisted as blowing up your own pipeline, but pretty bad. I, I was just wondering if you guys had heard anything about that. Yeah, I heard that, and it's um, it's just hard to weigh in on because, uh, you know, I have no idea what's going on on the ground. Um, both sides accusing the other of 
plotting false flags. And uh, it just speaks to how dangerous this moment is. The idea that someone could blow up that dam, which would be catastrophic, uh, or set up a dirty bomb is uh, is horrible. But beyond that, I just can only, you know, marvel at how horrible it is and how dangerous it is. But aside from that, I don't know what else there is to say. Okay, well, thanks a lot, you guys. And um, Katie, I'm I'm just so proud to see that you're all over the media for a couple weeks there. So, yeah, well, a tough way to get there, but, you know, it, it was great to see that you finally got uh, that kind of coverage. So, yeah. guys, keep doing good work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And please join my YouTube, youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show, since I'm not no longer at the Hill. Got to get out the word. Thank you. Uh, I didn't listen to you guys. I didn't listen to you guys at all this week because I needed to recover uh, uh, mentally from uh, the week. Uh, but uh, thank you, as usual, for uh, bringing all these topics to our attention on a Monday. It's great that escalation looks a lot like escalation and people that are going to do propaganda are going to do more propaganda during escalations and right before elections. Um, it's very surprising, but it is fear mongering and it distracts us from actually doing anything about the real problems. And speaking of doing something about the real problems, I was hoping, uh, Katie and Aaron, that uh, with your references, I could potentially become a legislative aide for Nancy Pelosi or AOC, because if you can't beat them joining, and I'm, I'm really thinking that's the place for me next, is inside, inside the beltway, fixing these people. But uh, I'm not running for office yet. I just am, am floating it out there. If, if maybe I can get a legislative aide position with one of those offices, it'll catch catapult me into the stratosphere of making better decisions for the country. And uh, just along, Brady is going to be my vice president. Well, you can, uh, you can wish, uh, every morning you can wish the country good morning, Monday morning, good morning, Tuesday morning, or at least Nancy Pelosi. Well, I endorse right. that. I endorse that candidacy. Uh, I endorse that ticket. So thank you for yep. the call. Okay. Amanda. Good morning. 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 Good morning, so, Monday morning. Monday morning, indeed. Make sure you guys all follow the sub stack, all right? Yeah. Um, I didn't watch the Sunday shows. You guys did. Did anybody talk about Haiti? Ah, uh, good point. I don't believe so. No, they did. They did not. No. It's criminal. Why would they talk? Criminal. We are yeah. hopeful. I don't want to. I'm pretty sure we're going to have a Haiti uh, guest this week, so you can look forward to that at, at uh, usefulidiots.youtube.com. Yeah, that is our plan for uh, this week to cover Haiti, and I, th- I think we'll be successful. We're just waiting for word on our guests. Um, all right. Well, should we wrap it up there, Katie? Yeah. Anything else, Amanda? Or just checking in on pointing out the glare. We lost Amanda. Oh, okay. Amanda, Amanda has left the uh, chat. She's probably so upset about the Haiti mission. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll we'll have that covered for you guys this week on Useful Idiots. Yeah. And uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Useful Idiots yeah. at Substack.com. And yeah. uh, Katie, anything coming up on the Katie Helper Show this week? Oh, always good stuff. Uh, 
just definitely tune in. You won't be disappointed. And also, um, oh, if anyone is in Washington, D.C. on October 30th, I'm going to be um, interviewing Miko Pellet live at Busboys and Poets. And Miko Pellet is the author of this excellent book, The General Son, which is about um, being the son of a decorated Israeli uh, general the grandson of one of the signers of uh, Israeli independence and also one state who's he's now become a one state solutions supporter. So that'd be great. Also, please rate and review our podcast wherever you find your podcast and also uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash useful idiots. And of course, youtube.com slash the Katie helper show. And uh, yeah, that's about it for me. Bye everybody. Thanks for joining us.